Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 92, Broken and Beloved Pastors, part two. Hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we're coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am alongside licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And we also have in the studio our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hey, guys. Hey, Steve. (laughs) And we are so excited to also have live and in person uh, two of our dear friends to help unpack the second in our mini series we're doing on Broken and Beloved Pastors. And the reason that we're focusing on Broken and Beloved Pastors is too often we hear of pastors like either downfall, I don't know what word to say, or quitting or letting go, but we never hear anything beyond gossip. And we hear no redemption. We only hear like the sin and then we chat about it and none of the heart. So let's dive into the heart because pastors are people too, people. (laughs) So today we have our dear friends for over a decade. Yeah. yeah. uh, Of off and on closeness and friendship, Johnny and Amanda McKenna. Welcome guys. Thank you. Hey. To you too. Thank you. (laughs) We're excited to be here. We're so Mm -hmm. glad to be here. And as uh, we were saying before we push record, we're ready to kick Satan in the teeth. So let it be so through this truth. Uh, But for those of you who have not been friends with Johnny and Amanda for the decade, um, they have been married for 10 years and they have two sons, Jack and Javier, who are three and two years old. And soon after they were married. Three and one. (gasps) Three and one? Yeah. Oh my word. So... That's even younger. Like three and 14 months. Oh, okay. So. Are you going to do the months until like they're 48 months? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was so, I never knew why people did that for yeah. so long. I was like, why are you saying he's 18 months? Like, I know. It's one. It is a difference yeah. though between exactly. <laughs> 12 months and 18 months. Right. Uh, but they, uh, after they got married, Johnny took the role of pastor for middle and high school students where he served for nine years. And now he works for a technology company. And Amanda has mostly served alongside her husband in this pastoral role, as well as a stay at home mom and has recently put her cosmetology license back to use by working in a salon. And I am going to hit you up for some help with my hair because it's a basically a mane at this point and I'm all done. Okay. I got well, you. Thank you. You got my back hair. No, no, well, no. That's gross. No. That's just gross. Nope, no. no we got that service. <laughs> I was going to say, are we talking about Matt right now? Yeah. Or, uh, okay. Okay. Hey, just some manscaping. Hey. <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. Well, we will likely not talk about that, um, but we are excited to hear more about your stories this redemption process but first let's get to know you and our listeners better through the question of the week from last week so y'all got some kids the three and the 14 monther mm-hmm. what is for you your least favorite thing to pick up from the floor probably at the end of the night after they're finally in bed <laughs> amanda you want to take this one you you can go first uh <laughs> any excrement that comes out of them and any, anything from any orifice it, yes. it, there seems to be a, a nightly ritual with one of them doing something uh mm. the other night uh jack was in the bathroom and then he came out and he just you know he has that look on his face you're like what did you do oh no and so you walk in and he looks at you and he just whispers what did you say i peed in the trash can and you look in the trash can and there it is yep he had peed in the trash can so so got to bag up his urine and (laughs) throw it away and clean out the garbage can oh kids are great how about you amanda 
I mean, first I was going to say crumbs because yeah. we have so many crumbs like all the time. Like but seconds. Yeah. And it, it every day we Throw clean the meals, floors. I feel like yeah. in crumbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But yeah, after Johnny, you know, talked about like bodily stuff, probably the worst is vomit. Yeah. Like recently our 14 month old vomited on a shag rug that no. we had put in his room. Mm. Nope. So nope. I like deep cleaned it. Mm-mm. And talking I, like weeks of deep cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> like no joke. It could not get the smell process. out. It was mm. disgusting. <laughs> Finally get it cleanings. to a point where it's like it's it smells okay. Put yeah. it back in his room. The next night he vomits again <gasps> on it. So we threw the rug away. Yeah. <laughs> that was a sign at that point. He's yeah. like, You're not done. supposed to have this. <laughs> okay, God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was this a source of pride? Right. Fine. Right, exactly. Thank you for sending your prophet hobby to vomit all over this rug. <laughs> prophet hobby. Oh, man. Matt, you got some kids, don't you? Yeah, we have a few. Of them. <laughs> we got we a have few three. running around. Yeah. What's your, uh, well, before we get to your least favorite thing, which listener did you say, yep, get that? Um, well, I absolutely loved what Melissa had to say. So we've learned the hard way in our family to not use a vacuum cleaner to clean up spices. It happened to us with garlic powder and cinnamon um, because it seems like the fastest way to clean it up when the kids spill something. My kid, we have a spice rack that's on a cart next to our oven, and so our kids occasionally will get the spices and undo them. And then the vacuum even if it's a hand vac, will spew out hot air that scented like whatever spice it was. So um, it can definitely make your house smell like whatever you sucked up. But the story really came from Patrick's mom, my husband's mom, who used a vacuum cleaner to suck up spilled cumin. And every time they used the vacuum cleaner for the next couple weeks, um, the whole house would smell like tacos because it would blow hot cumin throughout the house with a vacuum cleaner. So definitely not one of the things you want to pick up off your floor. So I just love the fact that, you know, after they vacuum, the whole house smells like tacos. I'm like, this is a great opportunity for invention. (laughs) I'm going to leave like bacon crumbs on the floor or something and and just get that smell going. Just incentive to vacuum at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to smell tacos. (laughs) (laughs) My whole self will smell like tacos. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. I went kind of a different route because obviously a lot of these comments have been kid related or or, or household, but if if there's one thing that I absolutely never want to have to clean up again, it is carpet beetles from the inside of our car. Oh, Oof. yeah. Because Ooh. those things were, they just kept coming. It's like you thought you killed them all with the uh. borax and stuff and vacuumed the oh. car out like crazy. And, and then like the next day you walk in and they're just all hanging from the ceiling. And you're like, mm. <laughs> And so if there's one thing that I absolutely never want to have to do again, it's, it's carpet beetles from out of the car. So I, the floor of the car. Yeah, it is mm. gross. That, does that count? It sounds like the bed bugs of the car. It, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm and dealing with terrible. a little shame right now, Max. I feel like we sound like a dirty family. <laughs> but uh, we do Mine keep would be it headlights. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, I'm going to shift it to you, Steve. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I've been through the stages of the, you know, the bodily functions and the insects and so forth and as you get older um it just is more about frustration which foy really uh he, he really keyed off of that 
Our daughter, my baby girl who we just took to college for the first time last week, has had type 1 diabetes since she was 2. The test strips that are, we use to check her blood sugar have legs and minds of their own. They wander off and we find them in the strangest places. But they're about an inch long and a quarter inch wide, paper thin, but very stiff. So when they land on a hard floor like wood or tile, they become almost impossible to pick up. They're too thin to catch by the edges and they're too stiff to just crumple up and pick up. Nightmare. So I could relate to that because my son, David, who's now 22, he was diagnosed type 1 at 12. And it's like at that age, they're already like, I, I can get it. I can do it, Dad. But, you know, this is life and death. Diabetes. So you're like, uh, test your blood sugar and all this stuff and the shots. And you're figuring all that out together. That first couple of years is rough. And, yeah, those testers, because also teenage boy, slob, those are <laughs> just all over the place, you know? And so anyway, he's doing fine now. He's in his 20s. He's independent. He's on his own. He's picking up his own test strips off the floor, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, Yeah, right. But I don't even have to know or care, so that's kind of nice. But yeah. Well, I appreciated Kylie and many others' perspective about this. To me, the worst thing left on the floor by children is glitter because once it is spilt somewhere... It never goes away. So 30 years from now, you'll still find glitter on the floor of your house. Glitter. But also, I've heard legends from older parents that it's actually glittery slime is the worst. (laughs) Oh, But last night, I was given the baby, the two-month-er, a bath, and Gwen comes in, Mom, my hands are glued together. So it's glitter glue (laughs) all over her hands. And she's like, don't worry about it, Mom. I'll clean them up. And so she then prepares a fountain of bubbles in the sink. And so it was like bubbly glitter glue Mm. everywhere. Not my favorite, but I also did in asking this on the Instagrams, et cetera, say that my other least favorite thing is picking up Matt's socks. (laughs) 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 That can be everywhere. But our uh, three-year-old has started ripping her socks off every time she comes in the house too and hides them places. So he texted me some pics the other day that like father, like daughter. So we're we're just working really Really hard to free all the house elves, guys. All the house elves. Yes. Now, little <laughs> Harry Potter part. wink. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's shift uh, to you, Johnny and Amanda, and we ask every guest this set of questions. And so, this is kind of a brief version, essentially, of your testimony. Just when was the gospel first good news for you? That gospel being, I'm more loved than I can imagine, and more sinful than I believe. So, when was it first good news for you, and how is it still? Amanda, let's start with you. Okay. Um, I was really young when I prayed with my mom, you know, the typical ask Jesus into your heart prayers. And I remember being so excited about that. And like, I don't know, growing up high school or middle school, high school, I was very close with God and um, I didn't really have very good friends in my life. So he was more of like my friend. Um And yeah, I just, I had a very close relationship with him. And then in high school and college, made my faith my own. But I, I feel like hearing about the good news, I don't really, 
you don't really know what that means. Like, yeah, I know the gospel is good news, but like until, you know, just about a year ago when like my life just came crashing down, um, that's when I just really realized like, man, here I go. (laughs) Just what's bad news before you get to the good news. Yeah. Like when you realize like, um, man, God's grace and his, the undeserved grace and the loving kindness that he gives us and the power of the Holy spirit. And it just, I feel like the gospel has come more to life to me Mm. in this past year. Mm -hmm. So good. Thank you. How about you, Johnny? Uh, yeah, well, I, my story is, is, is a little different. I, I grew up in a very conservative setting, uh, like, a, almost like a, a military school, just without the military, uh, mm-hmm. and just more Christian focus. So it was very performance-based, very, like, sin management kind of based. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember having a Sunday school teacher tell me, uh, like, how he views God. He's like, I view God. Like he's a he's a police officer next to me, and like whenever I'm about to do something bad or when I do something bad, he, he like you know write me a ticket. You know, hmm. I was like, wow, that sounds like a great <laughs> God. Wow. I guess wow. like I mean, it just sounds like oh, I, I better always be careful. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm on the road and I see a cop, I'm immediately slowing down, no matter. Yeah, I sit up straight. I mean, like my posture changes because <laughs> I you know that I matters. Get, yeah, exactly. Like oh, maybe if he sees me <laughs> change yeah. my posture, I'm like oh, he's all right, but. <laughs> He's um, a stand-up dude. Yeah, this guy's all right. He doesn't need a ticket. He's sit-up dude. Sit <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, my so it was all about like, oh, pray this prayer. But for me, it was like, I better pray this prayer multiple times because did I mean it last time? Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't living right. Or I, I did something that I knew I shouldn't have. And does that mean I'm not a Christian anymore? Or, you know, whatever it may be. So I'm like multiple times converted like becoming a christian so many mm-hmm. times every time i went to camp every time there was a revival old school term that my church would do and you know all this stuff that like it's like oh i need to like do this stuff and it wasn't until college when i realized like oh there's also a grace side to jesus and not just the truth and justice that the you know the my original church was was mm-hmm. pushing so hard on they i'm sure they spoke about grace and i'm sure they spoke about that stuff but the message i received as as a you know, teenager and young guy growing up was like truth and justice only and mm. God's wrath only instead of like, mm-hmm. oh, and oh yeah, he also like is a police officer that loves you unconditionally. Like, you know, totally different than the police officer that's just trying to bust you for doing something wrong. Mm. So, I mean, that, that's when things really took off for me in college when I, when I finally understood uh, what it meant to like experience grace. Um, it's obviously still good news for me cause I've, I've screwed up so much, um, mm. in my life. And, um, one, one of the ways that I've kind of realized, like how, how do you balance like grace with like how you live? Um, I think it was Kara Powell that talks about like the 4G gospel and the last way that you live your life when you respond to the gospel is, is through gratitude or living your life like one big thank you note back to God. So like, I mean, when you're grateful for something, you know, you, you respond in, in, in some way, and the debt that Jesus paid is, is immense. And so how can we not live in a way that he's asking or calling us to live this, this better life in general? Um, so mm-hmm. I, that's what I would do is my best to live this life of gratitude. And I was not writing the best thank you note with my life the past two years. I was basically, you know, the, the high school kid that was forced to write the thank you note that 
after high school graduation, it's like, all right, his heart's probably in the right place, I hope. Like, yeah. <laughs> he wrote it because he had to, you know, kind of a thing. And um, so that that's where I was at. But realizing, like, you know, God didn't look at me and be like, well, I'm done with you or I'm over, you know, it's, mm-hmm. well, I guess you don't deserve this or I'm taking this away from you or wh- whatever it is. But it was um, uh, just realizing, like, you know, God has still rescued you. He still views you the same. He still loves you. If anything, God can use you in such a powerful way if you allow him to after this it, once you're once you've you know done what he's asking you to do and be restored so mm-hmm. yeah that's so good so johnny you've alluded to this rescue that god has done for you and um like i just i just remember when things came down amanda you're res- talking about like the year ago this hard year mm-hmm. And I remember seeing some things online and I didn't ask questions other just than just reach out and say like, love you guys, no matter what. But I could tell, I was guessing it was probably sexuality something. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us, you just told us the like, I feel like arc plot of God's rescue of you, but what's the more specific wrestling that you walked through with your sexuality? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, it was it was a lot, um, but a lot of it stemmed from uh, pornography yeah. that was never addressed when it reared its head. So when I was young, um, probably middle school-ish age is when, or earlier really, I, 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 I feel like my sexuality, if that's the right word, or like my interest in sex was... Uh, peaked and opened up way too early Mm. I don't know if that was because I was the middle of five kids and having older siblings or because I saw things I shouldn't have seen through movies that maybe I shouldn't have been watching but um I just remember being awakened to it early um and looking back now I feel like wow that was really early on on being open to it which like how old i mean single digits for sure yeah um you know seeing being interested in in women in some way on like their their form their bodies they're seeing them naked like this was appealing to me as i don't know probably i want to say eight nine Mm -hmm. maybe maybe younger i I don't have a specific date but i know it was like man like this was something that i i saw and it wasn't like Oh, what do I do with that? It was I I want to see more mm-hmm. of yeah, this? Or, yeah. You know what what more is there out there? And you know I was obviously pretty naive to what was out there at the time, but I knew like I'm interested in this. I want to yeah. I want to keep seeing this. So it started with you know finding um, movies my parents had um, and that had nudity in them, and then like finding times to watch them to. Um, talking with my friends about uh things that we have seen or movies that had nudity or mm-hmm. you know certain sex scenes that were like oh man this one you got to watch this one or or whatever it may be and um then i mean even like i remember a friend like stealing like a vhs tape that was like not necessarily like a full-on adult pornography movie maybe like something kind of soft core i mm-hmm. guess and stealing that and like giving it to me and uh, it was, I think, middle school when I got caught with it by, by mom. And in fact, twice. She caught me two times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time it was with the use of the computer. Um, you know, computers, when we had them, was newer. 
internet was newer, it was all about the dangers of the chat room and how scary it is to talk to a stranger mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, you know, now we ask a stranger to come pick us up in a car <laughs> through the internet, which is crazy, but... Yeah, um, through Uber, yeah, like exactly. legit ways, yeah. Yeah, like summon a stranger from the internet to come pick you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but back then I was like, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I knew, like, this was a gateway to that. And so I sought it out and found it. My mom caught me. And I just remember feeling immense guilt and shame about like, oh, I've just been caught knowing, looking at something I knew wasn't right. I mean, I went to a Christian school that I think the most it was ever talked about when it came to sex or pornography was just like very negative, very brief over. Yeah. Um, It was not any kind of like, and here's like, how beautiful like this gift is or why it's important to wait or, you know, it was all just like, just don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Like, yeah, exactly. You'll die. You'll, you'll get an STD and die. (laughs) Um, so getting caught by my mom. Um, and I remember just begging her, like, please don't tell my dad, please, please don't tell him. And I don't even know why I was like really so adamant against him finding out. I mean, I think now maybe, it could have stemmed from just like, this was like the one man in my life that like, I cared about what he thought of Mm -hmm. me. And like, um, I had a a strong relationship with as far as like, he loved me and I loved him. And like having my mom catch me was bad enough. I think I was just scared of one, my dad's response and his anger and his wrath, Mm -hmm. which I think goes along with my fear of God in that same vein of like, I'm scared that what God's wrath will look like. And so I begged her not to do that both times that I got caught and she didn't for whatever reason. And the conversation after getting caught was very brief again, never brought up again, never asked again, never like let's, you know, and I'm, you know, and I'm sure I, I tried to paint it both times as like, this is the first time or like, you know, I've, Oh my gosh, it just came up, you know? And like, you know, you're trying to paint yourself as like, I can't believe this mm-hmm. is there and um but you know didn't i'm sure i wasn't fully honest but i also didn't really get the help that mm-hmm. i wish i would have received then of like let's talk about accountability or get you into some sort of i don't know conversation with someone that might be able to help you with that or whether it be a professional or a pastor or mentor you know someone to just like hey man obviously if you're looking at stuff like you need to mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. It makes, as you're sharing your story, it makes sense being in such a hyperactively rigid home that pornography would even be a draw because it's mm. safety. It like hits that need like for like it, it releases a boatload of like peaceful hormones when you are aroused. And so it makes sense, maybe a piece of this, like just in your rigid home, that it was almost like a happy vacation for you, even though all it did by drinking from the toilet water, like it, it, it created more shame in you. And so you had to like keep going back and back and back. So it's like, it almost kept imprisoning you further inside your own, like very rigid home. Right. Does that resonate with you? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, another aspect of it was like with the God, with my view of God being like, you know, here's the standard. Do you measure up? Like mm. constantly feeling like I don't measure up because I failed in this way or that way. I mean, pick a way, you know, 
you, any message you hear, you could probably apply it to your life in some way, right? Like, oh, yeah, I struggle with that in some way, whether it's big or small. And when, yeah. you know, when you're young, you kind of don't have as much grace for yourself. You're just like, oh, yeah, I screwed up. I'm an idiot. Or, you know, just a lot of ne- uh, negative self-talk, uh, at least for me, was, it was huge. So I constantly felt like I didn't measure up. And so pornography was an escape for me of that feeling of, like, finally I don't have to feel that for at least a moment but Mm -hmm. then you know after that moment's over like you were saying it was like now i'm right back where i started now i feel worse so now i need it more Mm -hmm. (laughs) to feel better yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you grew up in this this rigid very very kind of policing god is a policeman who's looking to to catch you doing bad Mm -hmm. you know and you you came from this rigid kind of performance to measure up background right you know and you you go to this place as a, as a pastor that and not not necessarily the church you were in just pastorhood in general is very like you got to maintain an image you got to look right. you have to do the performance or that's the that's the pressure that a lot of pastors feel is like mm-hmm. you have to do the performance yep. and so it, it makes sense that for someone who learned as a young kid kind of how to perform, mm-hmm. even though he was in the midst of, you know, you were in the midst of not feel like knowing you didn't measure up and feeling it, that, that you ended up in this kind of high pressure, high performance kind of setting as mm-hmm. a job. Um, was pastoring for you something that was like, I don't want to say to make up for the mistakes that you made, but it was almost like a, a, a penance of some sort. Like if I can just start to be good enough now mm-hmm. to, to make up for, for, for some of the the stuff, the mistakes that you had made that you felt like this weighing on you, am I enough? Am I ever going to measure sure. up? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. And I I honestly wouldn't doubt there's there's plenty of that in there. Uh, for me, I'm just like, yeah, like this is a way for me to give back. I feel like some of my motivations to be a pastor weren't necessarily like, you know, what you'd want in a pastor. <laughs> be like, oh, that's why I became a pastor. I know for me, mm-hmm. some of, a lot of it was like, oh, I did not like my church growing up. I did not like my church setting growing up. I did not like my youth group growing up. And so I felt like, you know, is there a way for me to, to do this? And I, I went to two Christian schools, two Christian colleges post high school. The first one, just another like very <laughs> military Christian school without the military. Um, and then transferring to another one that I think helped balance me out so much more. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, my motivation was like, oh, I want to be better at this. And I, I feel like I, I had a draw to be in a pastor or a draw to be in a pastor. I think part of it for me, too, was like I like talking to people. I like I was relational. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I th- and I think and two with my home life being what it was. So religious wise, we were very much like, hey, like, uh, you know, put on the right face. But at home, things were falling apart like. My dad was in and out of rehabs through most of my life for all sorts of addictions, whether it be, you know, hard drugs to alcohol. I mean, he was in rehab for, I mean, just about every every drug you can go to dr- rehab for. Mm. And, um, you know, my mom, you know, had, had plenty of issues as well, not to, like, paint her in a, in a negative light or anything, but I know, like, in a marriage, it's there's two of you going at it, and I'm, I know my dad brought plenty to the table when it came to his, his side of things. So, but for my mom, I, th- I think in my dad, my, my dad showed me like, man, like he's screwing up and like 
living in a crazy way, but my mom showed me the hiding aspect of it. Mm. So how do I put on the right face? How do I make it look like nothing's wrong? How do Mm. I dodge questions or make it sound like things are fine? So I became an expert at hiding, Mm. like through through example, but also, I mean, I think all of us are. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve, the second they Mm. were, you know, got Mm. caught like, oh, run away and hide. Like, Mm. I mean, I think that's in all of our natures, but Mm. it was for Mm. sure. something that I got really good at. Mm. Mm. So to backtrack a little bit, you guys, you grew up, so you had this addiction, you had this double life, essentially Mm -hmm. training that you (laughs) got and a boot camp at your home life. And then you go to a Christian university where you meet Amanda. Mm -hmm. Um, Amanda, what'd you think of Johnny when you met him? (laughs) Um, I had like a crush on him, like secretly for, I don't know. The first time I saw him, I don't walking down a sidewalk and he had, I don't know. I just was like, that boy is cute. But (laughs) I remember thinking like, he'll never notice me. Um, And so, yeah, like once he did notice me, it was like towards the end of the first semester. And um, I could tell because like he locked eyes with me and he's working at the coffee shop. Oh no. And (laughs) my friend was ordering some drink and I was only with my friend. I wasn't getting anything myself, but he looked at me and was like, do you want anything? And I was just, I just shook my head. I couldn't even talk. I was so shy. Um, but no, I mean, we ended up having a class together our, my second semester there and it was interpersonal relationships and ministry. Oh, stop. <laughs> and interpersonal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's when he he would just try to talk to me um, before class, after class. You know, AOL Messenger was oh, yeah. huge. Mm. So he Early got my... Yeah. Yeah. So many relationships begin and end. The screen names. Yeah. yeah. So he asked for my screen name and then we started talking. <laughs> and the dangers um, of the chat room again. <laughs> I know, right? It's uh, a part of my story. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we got to know each other. We were both super shy. So both of our friends had to kind of push us to actually talk to each other. Um, but I was always like, very cautious because I could tell he had a lot of friends that were girls and I didn't really know like am I just another friend or do I mean more I don't know so but he he pursued me I was kind of at a point in my life where I didn't want to like be boy crazy and always you know so I I remember I even prayed like God just bring the right person into my life I don't want to be you know I want to be pursued and that's exactly what happened he he just pursued me and I had never dated before. And when I told that to Johnny, like he didn't use that information for, I mean, he just, he just treated me so good. Mm -hmm. And like, even when it took him forever to tell me that he liked me. And then, um, he, even at that point he was like, I, I don't want to go too fast. You know, I want to get to know you and make sure that we're good for each other. Cause I don't want to hurt you. Um, And so like, and I just knew from his heart, like just, he has such a compassionate heart towards others and just seeing how he treated people on campus and, and how he treated me. And also just hearing about his, his broken family at home, like, and just his heart for ministry. just, I was really impressed with him 
and his love for God. And so I knew pretty, pretty fast, like, I think I'm going to marry this guy. And, um, yeah, I don't know if he knew right away, but I was just very like, this is the guy for me. So, um, and he was, as you guys were getting to that marriage phase, um, Johnny, were you wrestling with pornography and stuff then? Yeah. So, um, in college, it, it just looked a little different. Um, so my first two years at my first school, I knew if I looked at pornography, I would be kicked out. Yeah, they could tell. Yeah. Like, internet oh, yeah. search. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I did not look at internet pornography. Plus, like, um, computers were a little less ubiquitous mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And I had a desktop, but I was just like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I used it for whatever I needed to and didn't use it for anything else. Um, but I, but still while in college, masturbation was a huge issue for me. Mm -hmm. Even still in that two years, I didn't use pornography, but I still was struggling with that for Mm -hmm. the entire two years. And then when I wasn't in school, then yeah, the pornography kicked right back up. And then when I went to my second, uh, school, the Christian university, they, um, they were able to tell, like, you know, if you were looking at, looking at pornography and, um, I didn't jump into it very quickly because I thought like, oh, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble. And mm-hmm. then like, I kind of toyed with it a little bit just to like, I did a few times just to see like, is someone going to talk to me? What's it going to be like from what I knew that you wouldn't get kicked out. So I waited and no one talked to me. And so I was like, oh, maybe that was a myth. Maybe they don't, maybe, you know, and then things just, that just opened up the floodgates mm-hmm. uh, for me and just constantly probably as as many times as I could throughout the day looking at looking at it and um finally someone did talk to me which was very helpful so when you guys were about to get married what was a lie you believed about specifically sexuality in your marriage I I would say for me I mean I I thought it was going to be amazing like oh finally like I can have sex and it's going to be like the greatest thing ever and all what I've been told that I have to wait for is finally like I'm able to to do that and and have sex did you think it would fix the porn problems oh absolutely like now that I can have sex it's why why would I even need pornography Mm -hmm. and he I don't he didn't mention this but like he did while we were dating tell me about like his past with girls Mm -hmm. um things that he had done and then also his use of pornography and it it did shock me but for me, it was just like, well, that's not who he is anymore, you know. And it was past tense. Yeah, like, you know, he's different. He's changed. And um, and I think when we were engaged, he had told me that he was still looking at porn. And I think then is when it hit me harder. And I um, was very hurt by that and felt like, man, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why am I not enough? And um, I just told him, like, you you need to figure something out with this. And that's the point when he had gotten more accountability. Um, he had protection on his devices. He, mm-hmm. he was doing much better. And I would check in with him throughout even our whole nine years of marriage before things came out. Like I would check in with him every now and then asking him like, how are you doing? Are you struggling? Um, that kind of thing. But for me, a lie that I believed with um, sex was that, you know, it should work out. It should be perfect. It should be like the movies, passionate and romantic and pleasurable. Um, and 
then when it didn't work out for us, um, and when I say that, I mean we could not have sex for two years of our marriage. Um, and I, you know, I was so ashamed. I didn't know, like, what's wrong with me, like, am, what's wrong with my body. I didn't understand it. It was something so, like, hard and embarrassing to talk about with people. Um, so I think the first year it was just, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know. I just felt so helpless. And one of the first breakthroughs for me was, um, watching a Tyra Banks show and seeing, (laughs) (laughs) seeing other women on that show that had similar issues. And it just like encouraged me so much. Um, because you feel so alone in that struggle. Um, and I had my sisters I talked to and friends, but like they didn't really deal with that. So, you know, it's, it's hard when you're alone in like what you're dealing with. So um, anyways, I ended up, you know, looking online. I found out the medical term for it is vaginismus. And um, we got a book about it. We got some dilators. I had to, you know, learn a lot. Um, that book alone was just such an encouragement because there's testimonials of women who have had it for years and then, um, over time were able to overcome it. And so alone reading those testimonials were so, was so impactful for me. Um, and I just felt encouraged to really go at it and, to really overcome it. So I worked really hard to, um, to get my body used to everything. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I found a nurse that did affirm it too, because one nurse I talked to just made me feel stupid when I told her about like, this Mm -hmm. is what I'm experiencing. Um, and she was no help. Um, so another nurse I finally found, she just was like, yes, this is an actual thing. Thousands of women deal with it. Um, she's like, you're doing everything you need to do. And she's like, just keep at it Mm -hmm. because just like when you exercise, if you take a break from exercising, it's harder. You have to get back in it. She's like, that's the same thing for this condition is you have to keep at it. Otherwise all the progress you made, you're going to lose and it's going to be painful. And so Um, she actually told me, drink some alcohol, relax, (laughs) take a bath. Like she prescribed some numbing cream. Like she just was so encouraging for me. And I just remember leaving there feeling so empowered and feeling like Mm. I can do this. Mm. And I I don't think it was that long afterwards that, um, we were able to have sex and, um, it still like was not anything like, how you picture it. I mean, for us, it was just like this long process of like, okay, first I'm going to drink to relax. And then I got to put this numbing cream on and then I got to maybe use a dilator or whatever. And then, so it was just like, it was not this romantic spontaneous thing that like you think it's going to be all throughout this process. Johnny was very supportive. He never made me feel bad about it. He never, um, pushed me he never threatened that he was going to leave me he told me and reassured me like I didn't marry you just for sex I love you that's why I married you um 
And during this time, my sister would actually say to me, like, Amanda, you got to figure this out because, you know, if if you don't take care of his needs, he could go elsewhere. Mm. And at the time, that was really hard for me to hear Mm because it's like, what do you think? Like, I want this to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, but um, I think I was so naive to um, just porn and the addictive qualities of it and what it does to a male brain, but also just naive and thinking like, no, he's stronger than that. We're stronger than that. Nothing. We're untouchable. You know, mm-hmm. like I just didn't think that anything would interfere, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, the love that we had. Mm-hmm. So ideally with this medical hiccup, it would have been that Johnny just is able to sustain through the Holy Spirit and just able to just love and care for you and and really model exactly the words that you were speaking, Johnny, like, I am with you. This Mm -hmm. sex is not a priority. And, you know, we talk often on this podcast about how, oh man, I've talked about how we're working on our metaphor, essentially, just how oneness, physical, emotional, spiritual in marriage is to metaphor God's oneness desire for us physical, emotional, spiritual, like how God wants to be one with us. So you're working on it. So ideally you would have been doing exactly what you were envisioning. Was that the case, Johnny? Yeah. I mean, I, at first it was when she said, told me like, you know, it may not even be possible for me to have sex. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, right. You know, like I'm thinking like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to be fine. It's going to work out. I'm just thinking like, you know, she's naive. She's like this beautiful, like innocent, wonderful woman that just has no idea. Like, Mm -hmm our bodies are made for this. Yeah. Like, it's going to work out. And then when it didn't work out, I was like, just convinced like this was God's punishment on me for all of my sexual brokenness. So from, for the pornography use when I was growing up to uh, before Amanda, I didn't really necessarily date girls. I just was tr- try to be as physical as I could with them without having sex. So I stayed kind of within that Christian yeah, yeah. boundary of mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't have sex, but mm-hmm. I'm trying really hard to like do everything I can that isn't technically sex. Yeah. And um, Amanda was the first girl I actually was like, oh, I can't screw this up. Like she's actually like worth trying for. And um, I, yeah, thought like, you know, this is, this is God's way of being like, yeah, man, this is what you get because, you know, you thought you were going to be fine. You thought you wouldn't you, you you could have sex and you wouldn't need porn, but now like now you can't have sex with your wife. Like you should have should have lived differently. Mm-hmm. And so like you know with that discouragement and with like feeling isolated, like during this time I had lost my job at the church I was at because of budget cuts, and then I was working another job and got and I at at the original church I was at I had awesome accountability, awesome like stuff going on. My life was in a really great place. Then lost my job just before we got married, then started a new job just after we got married while this all came out of like, we can't have sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so lost my accountability, got a new computer thinking like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm past like this porn stuff. I'm in a way better place. I'm going to be fine. I don't need to like get any kind of software on it. I'm going to be fine. And, you know, at, at my new job and my new community, I don't have someone, I didn't have someone, I didn't seek out someone to have that accountability relationship with thinking like, I'll be fine. And then as a result of just feeling like discouraged, depressed, sad, like I started dipping my toes back into pornography. Mm -hmm. And I honestly meant those words to Amanda of like, 
I didn't marry you because like, oh, I thought it was going to be the sex festival, like for the whole time. Like, yeah. No, I, I married you because I love you. Sex is a great perk, but like not like the sole reason. So, I mean, I, yeah, it, it was hard though when obviously I realized like mm-hmm. this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was supposed to be. Yeah. So you're in this, you're in this place of understandably like deep disappointment and confusion and just, and Amanda, you're dealing with shame and both of you are in a new community, mm-hmm. you know, a, a different city from, from where you were at before. So, so no accountability, no real place where you knew, like, I can go and talk and I can, I can be received. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, Johnny, you quickly turn to, to pornography to, to escape the pain and the isolation and to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had conversations before and were, were there moments, I, I guess, in the first few years of kind of this new space where, where things kind of just deepened? Yeah. I mean, the, like, obviously not having, having sex for the first two years was just like, it was hard. And so like when things didn't work out or when I felt discouraged, like, or when, even when like Amanda was getting better or getting towards like, Oh, we can try, we can try. Like I'm thinking like I felt dirty and disgusting Mm. because I didn't want, Mm. I felt bad that like, Oh, I'm, I'm approaching her and she's trying so hard for me to do everything she can to make this work. And here I am like behind her back, just doing these things and just feeling disgusting. And like, you know, that, that changed like my, my sexual appetite, I guess, towards her because I'm fulfilling my needs somewhere else. And then Mm. like, being with her isn't what it's supposed to be because I feel ashamed instead mm-hmm. of this is, this is what where it, this is where I'm supposed to turn for my sexual needs is my wife. Mm. And, um, you know, that cycle just started up and spinning and spinning and spinning and things got out of hand. I mean, and then things, I mean, a, a multitude of things happened, which began quite a spiral. Um, there was a pastor in our church that, um, got in trouble for do like was on the news for like some sexual misconduct essentially wasn't with any kids or anything, but he, um, was on the news. And so he lost his job and was brought in front of the church and like, you know, it was a a big deal. And so here I am like, Oh, this is what happens. Like if, you know, you come out and tell people like what's going on and granted his story was different than mine, but at the same time, you know, not you're not so thinking, different. not so a different. A pastor, mm-hmm. sexual yeah. misconduct, right. publicly, it's, seemingly shamed in, from what you saw, at least. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I knew like, yeah, all right, you come out with this. This is, this is your future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then begins, of course, the cycle of what every addict says is like, this is the last time. Yeah. This is the last mm-hmm. time. This is the last time. Yep. Not too much longer. Two years into our marriage, my, my father dies. And that sends me into quite a spiral of like, just so much of mm-hmm. who am I? What am I doing with my life? Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, Amanda and I talked about all sorts of dreams of like maybe being missionaries or maybe, you know, doing other things or maybe I would, you know, I love art and photography and design and like, should I be pursuing that right now? And, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm having just an identity crisis on top of secret sexual sin on top of just everything that's going on with pressures mounting at work as I'm trying to grow a ministry and mm. it's, you know, I mean, all of these like are, are all hard things that I know all, everyone has pressures and hard things that happen in life. And I, I also want people to know too, like 
these aren't my excuses as mm-hmm. to why things went. I still made choices. I still did these things. It's not me being like, and, and that's why if it wasn't for all this, I would have been fine. No, but, we don't hear excuses. We hear like relatability yeah. because we all have, yeah, the high pressure areas and we all escape somewhere. So mm-hmm. you're just telling us your version of escape yeah. mm-hmm. and every man around this table has wrestled with exactly where you have. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. So Amanda, you know, none of this, right? Right. Of what's going on. I have no idea. No idea. Mm-hmm. You guys are serving in ministry now. You're mm-hmm. a youth pastor. You're well loved. Like, mm-hmm. and again, you're kind of living out the model you got yeah. in childhood, which right. was perform Performing high life. pressure yeah. and then secretly get your heart needs met really is what it is. It's sure. not even like sexual, it's here or there, honestly, get your heart needs met in this other place, even though anything outside of God invites shame. So there you are living this mm-hmm. double life. So Amanda, between, you know, you got your healing physically and you guys are able to be together and Johnny, you're wrestling with this shame and this double life essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amanda, how are you feeling about your marriage between, I guess the ability to be connected physically and then what we'll call the confession that we'll talk about at nine years. I think I was disappointed and um, confused because, you know, supposedly men have needs and, you know, they think about sex and it's such a priority for them, but I didn't feel pursued by my husband. And I remember multiple times in our marriage, just sitting down with him and saying like, why don't you initiate just, you know, having sex more? Why don't you initiate like, physical, you know, just kissing, touching, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it was always on me. And it's just like, is that normal? Like, is it just because all the years that we couldn't do things? Um, you know, is that because he just didn't like realize, like, he's not used to the regular pattern or whatever. And, um, and so, and sometimes he would tell me like, well, you know, because I know it hurts you. And so, I don't, you know, I don't want to hurt you. And I know that sex, you know, is painful for you sometimes. And so, um, you know, in my mind that made sense, like, okay, he's, he's used to this because this is what it was. And like, he feels bad for me. And so I just thought it was our normal, but inwardly I was very disappointed. I was frustrated. I, I did not feel pursued, um, or loved, um, towards the end. I, I think there's this growing sense of like something is wrong. And um, yeah, there was this just a lot of sleepwalking happening, a lot of, um, yeah, just weird occurrences of him like blacking out and not remembering something Mm -hmm. Um, worse. Like his, his health was getting worse and worse. Like he was gaining more weight and it just didn't make sense to me because he wouldn't eat a lot. So I didn't understand like what's happening. I started to feel like I'm not even attracted to this man anymore. I don't feel connected to him. Um, like part of the attraction is just like, you know, you want to like your husband and feel like you're connected. And a lot of times I was just annoyed with him and annoyed at like his behaviors and our communication just got worse and worse. Like, so many fights over the same things. Like we had several fights 
and like Johnny's not someone that fights he kind of like wants to maintain peace but it's more of like me bringing something up getting mad at him and him making promises but never doing anything about it so one of those fights was with alcohol and just feeling like why don't you have more control over this um if if this is how you're gonna act or be then I don't want it in my life um I don't I don't want this you know but he would always promise like yeah let's we made boundaries we had things set up but he never stuck to them so that was frustrating for me especially since you know my dad was the alcoholic and I had to see that in my own life and so he knew like this is extremely painful for me what you're doing um because it's continually bringing up my past um and just how you know painful this is so that was one of the things another you know and the other thing was just like why aren't we intimate more like why aren't you pursuing me like um I feel like the last year before he before he confessed to me I just felt like we were more roommates and I would tell him that I'm like I just feel like we're roommates and friends but nothing more like that's what our marriage felt like um I mean, I still liked him. We still laughed together. We still hung out. It's not like we were just always yelling at each other, but it just did not feel romantic or like I didn't feel connected in any other way than like, I don't know. Mm. So it was just this sad existence. And I remember even thinking like, feeling guilty about this, but like I would sometimes think like it would be better if he just died Mm. and I could like remarry and start over. Yeah. Um, later through counseling, you know, I'm realizing like, well, that's my way out because I'm frustrated and I'm confused and I'm, I don't know what's going on. And for me, the only way out of this is like, if he dies, you know, cause I don't want to divorce him. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I found myself just fantasizing over like, well, maybe this will happen. Not yeah. wanting it like, but it's I was just, it shows you how like, how messed up I was because a relationship had taken this spiral down and I did not know what was wrong. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what was wrong. I was so confused. Johnny, what was happening? So, yeah. So, I mean, behind the scenes, porn just wasn't scratching the same itch, right? Like you just start looking for other avenues to scratch that same itch or to get that same high, I guess, in, in, in ways. And, um, which, led me to just having conversations with, with women, which turned into uh, me cheating on my wife um, with a few women and uh, just, you know, flirting, starting off more innocent and just talking and then flirting and then into being physical with each other. And, um, you know, throughout that entire process, you know, continually feeling more guilt and more shame after every single time and then turning to alcohol to escape that of like yeah. wow if I can numb this like and not feel so so crappy like th- wow this alcohol sure does help and mm. wow I don't even remember last night that's kind of nice to know that for at least some of those hours I didn't feel so bad about yeah. myself or yeah. about what I was doing and so it just became this cycle um and you know which turned into fights between Amanda and I about uh alcohol use and like you know she's noticed my habit so I uh, then eventually began drinking uh, on my own or hiding it and not telling her about it and mm-hmm. finding ways to like basically embezzle money from our budget and um, buying alcohol and just drinking a ton. I mean, it, it, 
it began the cycle of lying. I mean, even more so, just more yeah. lying and deceit and hiding. Like mm-hmm. so much of my energy and time was spent on how do I hide everything? Yeah. Mm. And it just keeps piling up. Yeah. Piling up. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, part of like communication issues was like, you know, Johnny, the best way to not get caught is to not tell her anything. So like, don't talk. And so roommate situation, it really was that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew like the more I talked, the more... You know, she might be like, don't you remember telling me this or like, you know, like all this stuff that like all this memory loss is happening as a result of the the drinking or even, I mean, there's a lot of evidence towards blackouts because of porn use as well. Just losing large chunks of memory because of you're so engaged in something else. Mm-hmm. And I would just do my best not to talk. Like if I don't talk, then I can't, nothing can be used against me later and, mm-hmm. or I can't, you know, look stupid or be found out. And so that just be kept going until we were um up north with her family on a vacation and i got uh pretty drunk twice uh two nights i don't remember if they were in a row or not but um her family obviously knew something was going on i don't know if they would say like yeah we knew you were drunk or they'd be like something obviously is wrong with you and i was lied to their face uh you know like no like this is a medical thing i i mean i there was a night i will went to the emergency room because I was extremely drunk and a man was concerned. And at this point I had her convinced that this was all a medical issue. Oh man. And so we go to the emergency room, the doctor, they're giving me an MRI. They're doing all these tests. Like I at any point could be like, I'm just drunk. Like I, this is, you know, this is all a, a sham. I'm having them run tests on me that are thousands of dollars, you know? And hmm. instead I'm like, maybe honestly in my head I'm thinking maybe they'll find something maybe they'll find something that I can be like well there it is like that's what's that's what's wrong you know this hope of like this idiot that's like maybe something will save me here and the doctor hoping for disease oh yeah praying Mm -hmm. like maybe my liver's shut down or maybe you know maybe I can point to something and the doctor comes in is like everything looks great except his blood alcohol content looks pretty bad and Mm. you know I tell Amanda, like, that's crazy. I only had, like, this one drink and blah, blah, blah. And, like, Amanda is so loving and trusting and is, like, believing me and, like, you know, has my back and all this. And I, I'm i bold-faced lying to her. And the doctor, I'm sure, is just like, okay, if that's what you want to think, you know, like, you're not going to mm. fool science. Like, I guess it's possible. Maybe there was some sort of mess up in the lab, but pretty unlikely and so after that we went on vacation I got really drunk her family's like confronting me I'm realizing like Amanda's gonna find out like this it's all about to come out she's she's fighting for me with her family saying no it's like this medical thing like he's this is what we've been dealing with you don't understand like he's not doing anything wrong she has my back this entire time you know Mm. and so she all this is going on and I'm realizing like you are such a scumbag Mm. and so it's it's after this trip um it's august 6th is my dad's birthday so at this point my dad had been dead for seven years and i on that day just remember thinking like well you did it you turned into your dad Mm. Mm. you're lying to your spouse you're cheating on her you've got all this sexual brokenness like all these things that characterize my dad that is you and so that night i realized like okay she's gonna find out and she can't 
she can't find out. So it's time to, time to take my life. Oh, and, um, I rearranged my schedule for the next day so I could like do this drive out and my, so that way I could kill myself like on the way out there. And, um, I said, I remember saying good night to my sons, but in my heart I was saying goodbye. I remember kissing Amanda that night and telling her I loved her so many times and just, you know, this is my way of saying goodbye and realizing like, you know, I'll be gone, but my legacy will be intact. People, I won't be this pastor that's just another, another, you know, hall of shame member. Yeah. I won't, I won't have to tell my boys that I failed them this way that I've cheated on their mom. I won't have to, you know, just do, you know, I want to like tell my youth group kids and leaders in my church, like I can at least provide for them financially. Like I have life insurance, like they'll be in a better place. Like this is the best case scenario. You know, mm. that's, that's the lies I'm telling myself. That's what Satan's whispering in my ear. Yeah. And so the next morning I, I have to get up early to leave, to go to Grand Rapids and I get up and just, you know, thank God that his mercies are new every morning. And, um, couldn't do it I just thought about how hard it would be for Amanda to be with two boys on her own to support them and raise them and just thinking I can't do that to her and then thinking about my boys and thinking of them growing up without their father Mm -hmm. and at that point I had you know no idea like I would always be their dad but I didn't know if I would be Amanda's husband but I thought you know at least I can spend the rest of my life pursuing her again and trying to get her to, to take me back if she decided to walk away, which she had every right to. And, um, yeah, that's when I conf- and knew, like, I need to tell her not only about the alcohol, because that's what was the most obvious. At that point, I knew I had to tell her everything. Yeah. I had to mm-hmm. come completely clean about every single thing that I was doing. And he did, Amanda. And how did that shake down for you? Um... I mean, I, it's like one of those things, like when you go through trauma, I feel like you just remember the weirdest things, you know, around surrounding that time. And it's just like, I remember that morning drinking my coffee, like holding Javi and taking pictures of him. And, um, I just remember like the way my stomach dropped when Johnny said, Amanda, I have to tell you something. And I knew I just had this sinking feeling like something terrible was gonna, he was gonna tell me something terrible. And, um, it just felt like, I mean, I just got hit with one truth after another, after another. And it just felt like I was being like beaten down and like everything was just breaking inside of me. And at the same time, I'm trying to keep it together because I have my two boys that are right there in the room. And I just like, I was in so much shock and pain and like, I don't even know. It was just shock of like, this is really our lives right now. Like, like some news story that you hear about and I never thought this would be our story. I never thought he could ever do those things to me. Um, or yeah. And just 
so many thoughts and emotions going through my head over, you know, you're trying to piece together like everything from your life. Like my marriage felt like a lie to me. I started to think like, who did I marry? Like, I, I just, I was so confused and it was, um, this is such a random fact, but like a week before when we were going up North, um, with my family, I had this vision and, and this is before I knew anything. I had a vision in my head of like renewing our vows. Um, and I remember brushing it away and being like, why would we ever do that? Like it's only people do that when they've been through something like terrible. And I remember as I like drove away from the house, cause I, I just had to leave. That was one of the first thoughts that God put in my heart, put in my mind of just like this, I guess this hope of like, this is where I can take you guys. Um, it, I'm so angry, but at the same time, I believed and knew that like God was going to help heal us. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was like the worst day of my life. Um, the worst probably couple months of like, I mean, it felt like we were drowning and, um, we just didn't know like what, what was going to happen with our lives, what was next, um, and, and me just trying to figure out like what even happened, how, mm-hmm. how did this go so far? So Johnny, you came forward soon after that to your church and you were let go. Yeah. Or did you resign or how did that? Yeah. I mean, on paper I resigned. Yeah. Right. I mean, but chances are yeah. they would have fired me if I'd been like, no, I'm, I'm staying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I told Amanda and then within that same day, I told the, the lead pastor and the executive pastor mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, so you that were... was, that was one confession after another that day of, I mean, the, obviously the worst and hardest was like watching my, just destroying my wife with my words mm-hmm. after she's been nothing but faithful and supportive. Mm-hmm. And then having to tell my bosses what I had been doing mm-hmm. and the, the double life I'd been living. So people who are listening, they maybe have heard of pastors and, you know, may know you guys or have heard of pastors on Christianity Today or whatever. And we hear the fall from grace and really they don't hear the before that you guys just shared. Mm -hmm. They don't hear the heart. They don't hear the upbringing. They don't hear the falling in love story. They don't hear Mm -hmm. the shattering of the wife or the husband or however it goes down. They hear just the snippet, the Mm -hmm. the 60 seconds you just gave us, Mm -hmm. the confession and he's out. And then we are left swirling around and talking Mm -hmm. to each other. And some of that, you know, how do we know if it's gossip or not? It's, are you part of the problem or the solution? And if you're part of the problem, which is like basically you guys and the pastors or the solution, are you really not just, well, we should pray for them, but are we actually praying for them? So anyway, that's just an exhortation to us, the church to just shut it down and assume the best because we don't know this before. And we also don't know the after. So I'd love to spend another hour diving into the after, but, um, I would just like to hear from both of you, how has God redeemed since then? And Amanda, I'd love to start with you, even just thinking about like, you stayed with this brother and like, how did that redemption work for you? Um, First of all, my parents um, 
have been through a lot in their own marriage and their example of staying together, I think has put planted in me way before any of this ever happened that I did not want to divorce. Um, I think after dealing with, you know, my own grief and my anger, I had, um, people that like, I know God placed in my life, like someone that had a year previously gone through something similar with her husband met up with me at a park and her words just changed me. Um, one of the things she said was, Amanda, um, God is saving your husband right now. Hmm. And it shocked me because I'm like, what do you mean? Like he's saving us. It feels like he's killing us. Like, um, but then, you know, that meaning sunk in of like, he was living and just bound by his sin and held captive by it. And now like God is in the process of saving him. Um, and that's beautiful when you think about it, like that God just like, he steps into that mess and he fights for you. Amen. Um, like God could have done so much to Johnny over the years to just like beat him down. But like, I look back on it as like, God was so loving and patient with him waiting for him to come to repentance. And like just the way that we were supported by friends and family. And, you know, we did not, we did not just sit back and let things happen. Like when all of this went down, like we fought our hearts, like everything inside of us was just fighting. Like we, we went to counseling, like this intensive counseling weekend, which was like just life changing because it explored his past, my past. It helped me to see my husband as not a monster, but like he's a child of God. Like he is so loved and he's, he's broken just like I'm broken. I read prodigal God and I was like, so, um, that just changed my perspective on like, we're all lost, you know, but either we're lost in our own self-righteousness, which is just as sad because we don't see it or we're lost by going against God's plan for our lives. And I saw my husband. Yeah. Like he was the prodigal son returning to God and he was truly broken, truly repentant. Anyone could see that, that knew him. Um, so I just, I, I could, God was changing my perspective and my heart towards him. Um, it all seemed, it all came together, it all made sense. Like, well, this is why I haven't felt connected. This is why, this is where things went wrong. I think the fact that we dealt with so much at the beginning gave me compassion because it's, it's, I understand it. I understand um, how it could be one step into another step of sin, into another step. And like, he just got so far, um, so far off the path. Um, I think understanding porn and the addictive qualities of it, like has helped me, um, just understand and have compassion too. Um, and I'm not saying like, there have definitely been days where I am just so angry and I'm, I don't handle it well. And I've said hurtful things and I've, you know, I've had to grieve and all this stuff. So it's not like every day I'm just like living triumphantly in victory. There are days where I I feel like I'm back in hell. Um, but thankfully like we were 
we did have so many people who have been our cheerleaders Mm -hmm. and who have reminded us to keep our eyes on God and like what Mm -hmm. he's doing Mm -hmm. and what's possible for our marriage, you know, like, and I look back and I, I think, you know, if Johnny had such an impact in the years that he was living sinfully, how much more of an impact can he have? Can we have when we're living in truth and in freedom and in victory? Amen. So, yeah. How about for you, Johnny? How has God redeemed? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, Amanda, I mean, kind of alluded to it. I just felt like a monster, you know, I, I mentioned like it, I felt like I had turned into my dad and now I felt like, I knew I was this fraud, you know, preaching and, and teaching and trying to help kids like and students understand like, you know, sexual brokenness is a real thing. I mean, we had a month every year where we talked about sex to help them like essentially not fall into the trap that I was in. Um, and, uh, you know, when it, when it all came out and I just I was just sitting in this like my filth of like and now everyone sees it, you know, mm. an email was sent out of, about why I was leaving and it was really general just said like uh, sexual immorality and drinking was involved essentially and what that leaves people is whatever they want to assume and what their perception of me was um, so if you thought highly of me I mean we had people t- telling Amanda like it was just it was pr- just porn right you know like because they they love me and they think super highly of me to who knows I mean I know they're people being like, was he gay? Like, what was he doing? Was he, you know, like, was he visiting prostitutes? Like, thankfully the email did say, you know, no minors or students were involved. So that was nice, I guess, that that was like blatantly stated. But, you know, people just get to assume, like, and what was their opinion of me before? And that's where they get to go with it. Like, either Mm -hmm. high or low or, you know, wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, we had a, a couple come to our house that was just saying to, that, that said like, Johnny, you're not a monster and told Amanda, like he believes everything he spoke from that stage. Like he's not like this flim flam man that was like trying to like, you know, scam all these students and scam like his boss or scam. He's, he believes what everything, but he was like Amanda shared, like just trapped in sin and not getting help and not seeking the, the freedom that and the confession that he needed and yeah, uh her, i think too her words were like you're not your addiction your mm-hmm. addiction is where you struggle but it doesn't it's not who you are yeah. yeah which was so freeing for me and so helpful for me to even even viewing myself like okay you're not this because you know at that point i'm just a mess and broken and you know just believing the worst things about yourself because you're not getting great feedback at that point, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's yet, you know, there's not as many people around you at that point being like, no, like God's got this and you're going to be great. Like most of the time was spent with Amanda who I had just unbelievably hurt. And, you know, like she shared, she was broken and hurting and grieving and had questions. And I had to for days and weeks and months continue to break her heart as she asked questions and wanted more clarity. And, um, it was it was so healing to have those words spoken over me. It's like you are not your addictions. You are not those things. You are you still believe those things. And I knew I think I did, but it took someone. It took community of someone in that was part of our community to say those words to me for me to actually get it and understand it. 
So if someone had come to you while you were in your kind of just in the middle of the performance, Mm -hmm. like you hadn't confessed and they just said, you know, Johnny, you are not a monster or Johnny, you are not your addiction. Obviously Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have said that because I didn't know you had one, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of in this space where, where your, your performance is shattered, you know, and, and as you said, you like, you you were just seen kind of in your filth. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you just get the picture of you just like sitting in the mud, in the muck, just completely downcast. And for, for someone to come to you guys both in the midst of that pain at that point, uh, full of shame, mm-hmm. where, where they say, Johnny, this is not you. You are not your dad. You are not a monster. You are not your addiction. Mm-hmm. And reminding you your identity in Christ and, yeah. and the fact that the work that you had been doing was not just null and void because... Right you weren't living perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, would you have been able to accept that or would those words have meant anything if you hadn't confessed? Yeah. I mean, no, right? Because I, I hadn't, I'm not in the light at that point. Like if someone had come up to me and you know, you, you kind of let people in a little bit when you start sharing like, oh, I just, I'm feeling down or I'm feeling this or you know, I, you know, sharing about work, like, I just don't feel like I'm a good leader. Or I would say that a lot. Like, I don't think I'm doing, I'm the best person for this job. I feel like I'm not performing like I need to. And sharing that with coworkers and bosses and stuff like that, mm-hmm. really alluding to bigger things that were going on in my life. But, you know, they tried to remind you of like, oh, well, you know, they'd probably say those exact words like, hey, you're not your failures or you're not, you know, your, your, you know, shortcomings. And while those things were like, good to hear i guess in the moment they were not as powerful because they only knew just a sliver of what you know i was actually dealing with there was still the if they only knew they wouldn't oh yeah then they'd be like oh actually just kidding you are a monster but Mm -hmm. you know and i don't honestly don't think they would say that but it's what you know the lies that you tell yourself obviously Mm -hmm. at that point so are you doing better? Like, how's the how's the light doing? I'm just saying that's going to be a question in people's minds, you yeah, know? Like, absolutely. how are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I think as people will be able to tell, I'm married to one of the greatest humans. Mm. I mean, I have a wife that... <laughs> was willing to work through it. Like she took the hard route. She didn't take the easy route. The easy route in a lot of ways would have been see ya, like have fun paying child support, you know, like good luck on your own, have fun living in your filth. I'm, I'm out. You gave me biblical reason to peace out and I'm taking it. And because I have that kind of support from her and her willingness to work and then the counseling and then, uh, you know, getting in accountability, I call a friend, uh, five days a week, every morning at 6.15. Shout out to my friend, Nate. Um, he has been incredible and instrumental in my life in so many ways. Just someone that I know I'm going to talk to and share with and say and ask each other questions like, you know, how, what did you read in your Bible? What, are you struggling anywhere when it comes to sexual temptation? Have you, like, spent uh, significant time with like your your wife and kids you know those are the three things we run through every morning just to like check in and and then we catch up to and talk but i mean the fact that i have that kind of support not only from my wife uh community we had members of a small group we were a part of that really supported us during this time which was huge um all those things i'm i'm in 
such a better place and the freedom is unbelievable um to have all these things out and the weight lifted off my shoulders is unreal i didn't feel it right away because it was just hard like and i have to deal with a lot of consequences but now i mean we're in a place where it's like wow i actually get to talk to my wife now and Mm. like communicate and all those you know all those endorphins that i used to get um from looking at pornography are now met with her and like my, my addiction is no longer to pornography it's to my wife like the connection that was supposed to be this whole time is now being repaired and reformed mm. and and in such a better place um, now that healing has taken place and now that confession is taking place and things are in the light. Mm. Praise God. You guys, just thank you so much for sharing your heart so vulnerably and beautifully and helping us as the church to not just get the headline Mm-hmm. And for us to go and turn, but to hear the heart line, the yeah. heart driver mm-hmm. behind it. Thank yeah. you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys just for even giving us this opportunity. Cause I, I think you're right. People will just look at the pastor and think of the headline, you know, and reduce them to, mm-hmm. oh, they're this sin. And yeah. that's, mm-hmm. and that's hard not to do. I'll, I'll be honest. Like yeah. even when you hear in the secular world, when someone's done something really crappy, you're like, oh, well, they're this and you discount anything they've ever done yeah. because of that. And that's what happens to so many pastors that uh, have walked a similar path. Like, And I'm sure there are people that think that of me. Well, Johnny's this and forget. like, And I forget, too. I, I can fall into the trap of like, oh, yeah, a lot of kids' lives were changed. Eternities were changed because yep. of the ministry that I was a part of and because of the investment that my wife and I had in their life or leaders had in their life. And, you know, I think it's it's important for so many people that yeah don't get to do the aftercare i think when they hear the the confession and the details it's so easy to stay in the that person sucks yeah. and they they don't get to talk to amanda or i later they don't go to counseling with us they don't get to hear they don't work through anything so they're just left with man that guy sucks right mm-hmm. we don't like him mm-hmm. um and so i'm grateful to for this opportunity to for anyone that does hear this that we may know that maybe gets a glimpse into this. I want to say, if you are listening to this and we know you, we love you. We miss you. Yeah. Um, sorry yeah. that I failed you, but God is, is restoring Amen. me and us. And um, I pray that he's doing the same for you in your own life. Amen, amen. Mm-hmm. Can I just share one thought? Yes, with, please. Um, okay. Um, I think... When we, when we think of leaders and just them falling and how disappointing and hard that can be um, and just shocking for people, I think, remember the Bible is full of so many stories that are shocking and crazy and just like, why is this here and why is this in the Bible? We have so many leaders in the Bible, like David and Solomon and Jacob, I mean, the entire nation of Israel, um, I mean, you could just go on and on. Peter, Paul, um, of people that God chose in leadership that really messed up with lying, deceit, murder, adultery. I mean, you name it, like just crazy stuff. Um, And it could have been left out of the Bible, but it's in there. It's not 
hidden. And I think it just shows us like this sin problem is in every one, even mm-hmm. leaders, especially leaders. I feel like they're more vulnerable to attack and to temptation and to isolation. Sin thrives in isolation. And mm-hmm. when you're a leader, you are isolated. And so I think leadership in the church, like, I mean, you just, you need to not be in isolation. You need accountability. You need someone like Nathan who will approach David and check him when he's out of line. Mm. Um, I don't think that, you know, a lot of leaders have that kind of support and that kind, those kind of people that aren't afraid to like step in. Mm and tell you how it is if they see something out of line. I think people are scared. So all that to say, like, if there are leaders that do things in your life that are shocking, I mean, this is the reality of the broken world that we're in. And Mm -hmm. just a reminder that, like, they're people and it's in the Bible. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, you we look at... an opportunity at, to respond and how Jesus would respond to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, the redemption part, what you guys mm-hmm. are talking about, is that, yeah, leaders are susceptible. And we can mm-hmm. say the story's done when the headline is written. But mm-hmm. there is redemption that's happening. And guys, listeners, friends, family... I don't usually do this. I don't know if I've ever done this, but if you're listening and you're sensing the spirit wrecking your own life and you, you didn't cry, I'd be surprised because <laughs> we're all crying in here. But I would just love if you would share this with a friend. If there was someone that came to mind, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's someone you're like, man, maybe when they said, you know, life's hard right now, you're like, maybe there's something more. And you're like, hey, this could be something, it could be nothing, but I just want you to know I love you, brother, pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you know of someone who's wrestling with pornography and feeling just tons of shame, just hearing, just y'all's leaning in. And I loved what you were saying, Amanda. You've just fought. You fought. So whether you are married or not, just fighting Mm -hmm. for God's image to be really seen in and through you. And who you are is not your brokenness. Mm -hmm. Who you are is not your struggles. And so... Um, listen and and share this with someone uh, because I honestly believe that this podcast is a tool in the hands of God to Mm -hmm. break down barriers Mm -hmm. uh, that the enemy is wanting to put up. Mm -hmm. Who knows how long we'll be able to do it in this dark (laughs) world. But I'm like, man, for as long as we can, guys, let us link arms and let's do, let's go to war. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Getting fiery. (laughs) This is good stuff. All right. Well, guys, um, thank you for being a part of this podcast family. Johnny and Amanda, thank you again. And big shift gears. Wow. For our question of the week. I like feel like I'm (laughs) stepping on like sacred ground right now, but we got to keep it, keep the train rolling. Um, But this is actually from a listener. Our question of the week for next week is if I walked into your house or apartment or your room, what are three things I would see that would describe who you are as a person? So I would see Star Wars stuff, Steve and Matt socks, etc. No, um, <laughs> my son's excrement. Yeah, vomit. <laughs> Taking it full circle. Right. Um, 
but we just would love to hear that. You can hit me up on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or send that voice memo podcast at HMHministries.com. Guys, thanks for being on this epic adventure. Um, This might've been our longest podcast ever and worth every minute. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Johnny and Amanda. And thank you all for being a part of the family. And we will see you next week. Bye.